Wow, good morning for the few of those that are here, and, and even Woody is sitting on the pew watching and worshiping this morning. I, th- I, I thought I looked over at Woody a minute ago and saw him raise his hand. I, I'm not sure, but it's very possible. Or maybe that was just Austin and he was worshiping. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, thank you, Dale and, and Casey, and, and guys, uh, uh, thank you for the music this morning and preparing our hearts to, to worship. He is a way maker, amen? Uh, and he is a miracle worker, and uh, I'm so glad that he is he is our God. A few announcements for you real quickly before we jump into uh, the sermon. Uh, Friday, uh, we're going to do something a little unique. And so Friday, uh, we're going to meet here at the church at 3.30. Uh, we still need a couple of volunteers. Uh, we're not congregating, uh, but we're just meeting to give some things out. And so why are we doing that? Well, uh, we're going to do something a little special for our moms this year. Uh, since we're not going to be in church on Mother's Day, Friday afternoon, <clears throat> we're going to meet Excuse me, and we're going to take a gift to all of our our moms in our church. And so, Miss Tina uh, Marple has been the one that has kind of been running this and putting this together. And so, we still need a few volunteers to do this. And uh, and so, if you'd like to volunteer for that, we're not going to go in anybody's home. We're just going to go up to their door and uh, give them something. And just let them know that we love them uh, and all of you moms out there. And so we do need some volunteers for this, a few vehicles. And so if you'd like to volunteer, you can text me, uh, call me, call Austin, call Tina, uh, get in touch with one of us. Secondly, real another exciting uh, uh, to share with you this morning is, is this. Um, the governor has shared with us a day that we can open up. And so that day is Wednesday, May the 20th. And so this is an exciting announcement. Amen. We have been waiting on this announcement. And so houses of worship are going to be able to open up on Wednesday, May the 20th. And so that first Sunday would actually be May the 24th. Uh, would be the first Sunday. So here's what we're going to do. As soon as we know the guidelines, hopefully those will be released, maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, hopefully, um, then we will have a deacons meeting. And then we will put out on our Facebook, our website, uh, we're probably even going to send something in the mail, just elaborating uh, all the points of emphasis and the guidelines for this reopening. And so as soon as we get that, we will put the date out there. We will let people know exactly which Sunday that we are going to open up. And praise God, this is the announcement that we've been waiting for, right? And, And an opportunity to get back into the house of God. And yes, you don't have to have a building to be the, the, the church, but it's great to come together in corporate worship. And we have been missing this. And so we have some plans that we've put together. And uh, as soon as we get the guidelines, we will elaborate those to you. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you uh, once again. So I want you to grab your Bible. And I want you to open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Seven. Now, I typically don't find myself preaching from parables this time of the year after Easter, but with, with everything that has been going on in our world and all of the issues with this virus, the quarantine, and everything that we have been dealing with on a constant basis, God placed this sermon on my heart this week. 
And so, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and we're going to talk about being a neighbor of compassion. A neighbor of compassion. Let me share a story with you real quickly. This is many years ago. At approximately 3.20 a.m. on the morning of March 13th, 1964, this was years even before I was born, 28-year-old Kitty Genovese was returning to her home in a nice middle-class area of Queens, New York. She parked her car in a nearby parking lot, turned off the lights, and started to walk to her second-floor apartment some 35 yards away. She got as far as a street light when a man grabbed her, and she screamed. Lights went on in a 10-floor apartment building nearby. She yelled, oh my God, he has stabbed me. Please help me. Windows opened in the apartment building, and a man's voice shouted out, Leave that girl alone. The attacker looked up. He shrugged, shrugged and, and walked off down the street. Miss Genevieve struggled to get to her feet. Lights went back off in the apartment, of course. The attacker came back and, 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 and stabbed her again. And again, she cried out. She said, I'm dying. I'm, I'm dying. And again, the lights came on, the windows opened in many of the nearby apartments. The assailant again left and got into his car, and he, he drove away. Miss Genevieve staggered to her feet as a city bus drove by. It was now 3.35 a.m. The attacker returned once again. He found her in a doorway at the foot of her stairs, and, and, and he came back, and he finished the job. This was the fatal blow. It was 3.50 a.m. when the police received the first call. They responded quickly, and within two minutes, they were at the scene. But unfortunately, at that time, Miss Genovese had already passed away. Detectives investigating the murder discovered that no fewer than 38 of her neighbors had witnessed at least one of her killer's three attacks, but neither came to her aid or called the police. The one call made to the police came after Miss Genovese had already passed away. Now, some of you, no doubt, maybe you've heard of this story. When it happened, many thought the incident was shocking. They thought the, the incident was, was bizarre, but not typical of the way that people respond. And the question was asked, what was wrong with those people? Anyway, well, in our text this morning, we find the same type of story to a certain degree, but one that happened all the way back in the first century. The parable that we're going to look at this morning was shared by Jesus as a response to two questions that was posed by a Jewish lawyer. The first question was this, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Well, this is the same question that people have been asking for years and years and years, and, and the same question that's being asked today. The second question was this, though, and who is my neighbor? For some, our, our neighbors are just the people that live right beside of us, right? But for others, neighbors are people that we can share the love of God with, and they don't have to live right beside us or a residence right in front of us or right behind us. So in our parable today, there's a man that's been beaten. There's a man that has been left for dead. The man has basically been stripped of his clothing and his dignity. And here he is, and he's laying in the streets. And the question is this. Who will be this man's 
neighbor. Look at the Bible, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And let's look at this parable, because this opens up our eyes. You know, this, these type of things, they, they, they pull on our heartstrings, and we read this type of Scripture, and we really think to ourselves, God, please help me never be that type of person. And so listen to these words of this parable. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. He wanted some justification. So he asked a second question. And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, <clears throat> when he came to the place and, and saw him, pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan... As he traveled, he, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law implied the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful day that you've made. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word and to uh, worship you this morning, God, in song as well. And Father, as we come right now to this time of hearing the Scripture, Father God, I pray, I, Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts and our minds and that, Lord, this isn't a time just to sit in front of our, our computers or our phones, but God, this is a time to really draw closer to you and, and Father, to be intimate with, with you and to be honest with ourself and our, and our hearts, dear Lord. And so, Father, as we, as we venture outside today, Maybe we take a walk, maybe we're in the backyard, maybe we're sitting on the front porch. Or Father, maybe you give us an opportunity to be a neighbor. Lord, I pray you use this in, in your way. Father, I pray that you work on hearts. Lord, I pray that each day that we live, God, you will help us to be the compassionate neighbor that you've called us to be. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Now, putting this in, in, in context and trying to figure out where this happened, well, Jericho was situated just above the Salt Sea, and Jerusalem <clears throat> excuse me, was to its south-southwest. 
And the journey from Jericho to Jerusalem, well, it was well known for, for its dangers. It was very steep. It was treacherous. So this was a great place for robbers to hide. In fact, it was so bad that the road got the name of the way of the blood. So you can imagine traveling down this, and you're like, hey, where are you going today? Well, I'm going to the way of the blood. Awesome. I'll pass. Right? So it's the perfect place for the perfect ambush, robbery, murder, cover-up. But it's also the perfect place for Jesus to illustrate the compassion and love of what it means to be a neighbor. So I want to share with you five points this morning, which we find Jesus illustrating exactly what compassion is. And so if you've got a pen, you've got a pencil, piece of paper, maybe we can learn and write some things down with each other this morning. Number one is this, compassion is based on need and not self-worth. Compassion is based on need. In verse 30 we read, Then Jesus answered, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the thieves. They stripped him. They wounded him, and then they departed it, and they left this man half dead. You put yourself in this man's shoes. You've been beaten, you've been stripped, your dignity, and you're left lying in a street, and you don't know if you're going to make it or not. You're half dead. And notice Jesus says a man, he doesn't give him a title. Doesn't call him a thief. Jesus doesn't refer to his religion. He doesn't refer to his, to his bank account. He don't refer to his status in the community. We assume he's a Jew. But Jesus just calls him a man. So we're just going to call this dude some guy. All right? So some guy, he, he's robbed. He's, he's stripped of his clothes, his dignity. He's hurt. He's left half dead. He's in desperate need. And so the first thing that Jesus is trying to explain to this lawyer and others is that compassion is based on the need and not someone's perceived self-worth. As the unknown victim lay beside the road, there's a series of three, three people that come by, right? Just like the story of Miss Genevieve's. People start coming by and witnessing what's going on. The first one's introduced in verse 31. Now a certain priest came down the road. He saw him and he passed by on the other side. Now there have been some people that have said, well, you've got to excuse the priest because he didn't want to touch the man in fear that the guy might have been dead and then that may have made the priest ceremonially unclean and he wouldn't have been able to carry out his duties. But notice it says that both he and the Levite who came next, by the way, they were coming down the road, thus they were leaving Jerusalem. And they had already performed their duties. The priest, I mean, come on, he, he was considered the most holiest of the Jews, was he not? He, he, he was taught the scriptures, he was entrusted with the sacrifices and the sin of the people. He was allowed to go further into the temple than regular people were. And if anyone was going to stop and reflect the character of God, it should have been the priest, right? But the priest didn't stop. So it makes you wonder if the priest recognized the individual. Maybe he did. And to the priest, the person evidently wasn't his neighbor. He wasn't worth enough to stop and to help, but only to look at and to kind of visualize, well, I know that guy or some guy is in need, but <laughs> I'm the priest, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going on by. 
Then the second pastor is introduced in verse, uh, uh, verse 32. The second passerby. The Bible says, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived to the place, he came and he looked, and he passed by on the other side. So he was a little bit more visually inclined to the situation, trying to figure out maybe what was going on. So he goes over and he looks at this man. But perhaps it was more than the current practice of what we call rubbernecking, right? At the scene of an accident to see what's happened. I mean, all of us have probably done this in our, in our day. You know, we see an accident, we kind of stop, we kind of look over, we're interested. Maybe we're even being a little bit nosy, right? We want to know because there's something in front of us that's going on. Now, understand that the Levite, now they were the priest's assistant. So-called examples of righteousness, right? So if anyone's going to help this some guy, then it would have been one of these two men. It would have been the priest or it would have been the Levite. The question is, is this in my heart? Were they caught up in religion and not mercy? Because let's be honest, that's easy to get to, right? It's easy for people to get caught up in religion and then we forget about the mercy that we are supposed to show people. We forget about the compassion that Jesus has instilled in our hearts. You know, we think, well, as long as I got religion, I'm okay. But how can you have religion and not have mercy? How can you have a relationship with Jesus Christ but then say, well, I'm not going to show mercy. I'm not going to show compassion. I'm okay. Okay, even though someone lying in the road dead is not. So Jesus teaches us about compassion. It's based off need. It's not based off self-worth, per se. Jesus also teaches us this. Number two, that compassion has feelings, by the way. Amen? Compassion has feelings. It would have been shocking for Jesus to have told the people that this some guy was helped by just an ordinary man. But it's not even a Jew helping a Jew. But rather it's a Samaritan helping a Jew who had been ignored by his fellow brothers, his Jewish brothers. And given the mutual hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, it would have been more likely to have expected the Samaritan basically maybe to have finished this guy off, per se. Today we, we call this story the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? In fact, the very phrase Good Samaritan has become a part of our common language. But this was definitely not a phrase in use by the Jews of Jesus' day. In fact, they probably couldn't even consider saying the words good and Samaritan in the same sentence. The passage says in verse 33 that he felt compassion. The Samaritan, he saw this same pitiful man lying in agony beside the road and his heart churned within him so he could not just pass this some guy by without helping him. That's the way compassion affects us, right? It, it stirs us. It troubles us. It keeps us awake at night until we do something. Arthur Steinbeck, he once said, the value of compassion cannot be overemphasized. Anyone can criticize. Boy, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? You hear so much more criticism today than you see or hear compassion. We love to criticize, but... Showing compassion, it, it seems that that's more work than being just critical. 
But he goes on, it says it takes a true believer to be compassionate. No greater burden can be borne by an individual than to know no one cares or understands. And that's a hard pill to swallow. When the Samaritan looked at the suffering man lying half dead by the side of the road, something happened in this man's gut. Something that made it impossible for the Samaritan to walk away. He didn't decide to help this guy on the basis of how worthy he was. He helped him because of how needy he was. You know, we need to understand that there's no logical reason for the Samaritan to rearrange, rearrange his, his plans or to spend his money to help his enemy, basically. And Jews and Samaritans, they were basically enemies. And all of the people who passed by this injured man, the Samaritan had the least reason to help him. The least reason. Helping this man... It wouldn't change his status with the Jews, nor would it change how the majority of the Samaritans felt about Jesus. And then Jesus also teaches us this, number three, compassion doesn't set still. Compassion doesn't set still, church. Not only was the Samaritan's compassion based off the need rather than the perceived worth of the victim, but it caused the Samaritan to feel something so deeply that it had to be expressed in his actions. And in verse 34, we're told the Samaritan doesn't pass by on the other side, but he moves toward this man. He moves toward this man, and isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus healed the unhealable. Jesus touched the untouchable. Jesus forgave the unforgivable. Isn't this what Jesus does in our, in our life? We, we move toward others instead of moving away from others. And Jesus explains what this man does in six ways. He says, hey, he went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He brought him to an end. He took care of this guy, this some guy. The Samaritan man took care of this, this some guy. In every one of his acts, he demonstrated compassion as he responded in a practical, timely, and unselfish way. He put him on his own donkey, which meant what? That now the Samaritan's got to walk. It's important to recognize that he took the time to take care of this man. You know, here's the truth. We, we may not be able to help everywhere. We, we may not be able to help everyone. But we can help somewhere and try to do a meaningful work for someone. We can always find somewhere to help. We can always find someone to help. The question is, do we care? The question is, do we want to show God's mercy? Do we want to show God's compassion? Or are we really just concerned about who? Ourselves. And then next, Jesus reminds us, number four, compassion costs something. Compassion costs something. The Samaritan man, he, he really went the extra mile. He took this man to an inn. He saw it too that the innkeeper looked out as the, as the individual was recovering. He also promised that he would return and fully reimburse the innkeeper for any additional expenses that incurred for caring for this man. He left money to take care of this man's need. And he didn't even put a limit on it, by the way, of how much he would spend to take care of this wounded individual. 
And, and there is nothing more the Samaritan could have done to show his compassion for this person. You know, oftentimes we, we tell ourselves we can't afford to be compassionate. We tell ourselves that. But let's make one thing clear. Having compassion doesn't mean breaking the bank. Amen? It doesn't mean that. It could be buying someone lunch. It feels good to do that for people. Amen? It could be buying somebody just, just lunch one day. It could be buying someone a pair of shoes. It could be buying someone a coat. It could be buying someone some socks. It could be helping put gas in someone's car, just lending a helping hand. And I can promise you this, money doesn't have a heart, and money doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, but people do, and people can. Amen? We can. And then next, Jesus reminds us, lastly, number five. Compassion characterizes our relationship with Jesus. Compassion characterizes our relationship with Christ. At the conclusion of Jesus' story, he asked the lawyer one additional question. In verse 36, he says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell into the hands of robbers, of the robbers? And the lawyer, he probably almost chokes on his words here. Matter of fact, he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. And so he responds in verse 37, The one who had mercy on him. And for the second time, Jesus tells this man to do something. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to do likewise. Now, why does Jesus say this? Because Jesus knows the kingdom of God does not belong to those who deny or reject the command to love the Lord and to love people. The lawyer is left without any excuses or the vindication that he wanted the second question that the lawyer had asked was this, who is my neighbor? And now it's been turned on him. And now the question becomes this, what kind of neighbor am I? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What kind of neighbor am I? John Piper once said, he said, when we're done trying to establish, is this my neighbor? The decisive issue of love remains, what kind of person am I? That ought to hit home with us. What kind of person am I? You know, Christians, we're supposed to have a different kind of love because we understand the depths of how much that Jesus loves us and His compassion and His mercy that He has toward us. So let me ask you, how can you be a Christian and not show compassion? How in the world does that work? Memorizing Scripture, hey, that's great, that is wonderful. We, we advocate for that, but we're called to be doers. We're called to love. We're, we're called to show compassion, and that means action. So what kind of person are you? Will you show God's love? Will we show compassion? Or are we going to be like this lawyer? Are we just going to have one more question after one more question after one more question after Jesus has already answered the questions to begin with?
You know, I know the times that we live in are not like they were 30, 40, 50 years ago when neighbors and neighborhoods were close and people, you know, we left our doors open at night, right? We, we weren't scared of certain things like we are today, but I'm thankful for neighbors. You know, Talina and I, are, we're not home a lot. We're either at work or we're, you know, here at the church or we're with our kids and we're, and we're doing stuff. But I, I want to give a, a, a shout out to some of my neighbors. And I realize they're probably not watching this this morning. Um, but over the last three weeks, I, I had one neighbor that came over and helped me remove an old satellite that was about to fall off my roof. So he came over. And did that. Another neighbor saw me in the backyard a couple of days ago. My lawnmower equipped. My a belt had broken off. And the next thing I hear is, vroom, 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 vroom. and here comes one of my neighbors mowing my yard. I stopped him. I said, "Brother, you don't have to do that." He said, "What are neighbors for?" And he wouldn't even let me paint. He wouldn't even let me paint. And then I have another neighbor that's across the road, and now he has my lawnmower, and he's working on it. Fixing it. People showing compassion. People being moved to action. People being a neighbor. You know, I, I realize that we are in a time of quarantine, and I realize that there's a virus that's going through our world. And so maybe people are asking, how in the world, Pastor, do you expect me to be a neighbor in times like these? Can we not still check on people? Can we not call people? Can we not reach out on Facebook? Can, are, are, are there things that we cannot or, or that we can still continue to do? Being a good neighbor. Now, I've encouraged my deacons over the last six, seven, eight weeks. I said, call your people. Be on the phone. Reach out to them. Call them once every two weeks, once a week. Whatever you feel like God is wanting you to do, but check in on them. This is not just, just trying to keep people in church, but this is just being a good neighbor. This is just loving people. That's what this is about. We can still help meet needs. We can still show compassion. Now I want to challenge you real quickly today. Be someone's neighbor. Show some compassion. And hear me, this, this life, we try to make it all about ourselves. Well, nobody's done this for me, or nobody's done this for me, or nobody's helped me. Let me, let me, let me share this with you. You ready? It feels so much better when you take the responsibility of helping someone else, find a way, even if it's prayer, even if it's checking on someone. Don't make this all about you, but let people see the compassion of Jesus that lives within you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, thank you for your mercy, and thank you for your compassion. And God, you revealed to us today what it means to be not just a neighbor, but a compassionate neighbor. And Father, I pray that we take those opportunities, God, 
People are looking for hope and they're looking for peace. They're looking for joy and love. And, and, and God, we know that's found in a relationship with Jesus. And so, Father, I pray everyone listening today, they have that. If not, it's just a prayer away. And so, God, help us today. Open up our hearts. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to show mercy. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.